The federal government has invested $151.5 million in four new cooperative research centres. They represent very diverse areas. One is for high-performance soils, one is for honeybee products, and one is for food agility, whatever that is. But over a third of the money will go to a new iMove CRC, which will explore digital and evolving vehicle technologies to help traffic to flow more smoothly. It's not just about passenger cars, but also, of course, about freight. Ian Christensen is the uh, CEO of Accelerate Australia, and he led the bid for the iMove CRC, uh, and he joins us on the line to tell us all about it. Ian, your company is not doing all of the CRCs. It's just focusing on the transport one? Yes, we put together a bid to work with companies and organisations to improve the mobility of people and freight, and we'll be setting up a new cooperative research centre focused just on that area. You have worked one called an auto CRC for a while. Was that along similar lines? Is this just the next model, which is better? Well, yes, I have been involved with the Automotive Cooperative Research Centre. For I've been involved with it for the last seven years, and it's been going all together for, for 12 years. So there's been work in this sort of uh, in the automotive space for quite some time but that was focused on other issues like making cars lighter and making more use of electric motors and uh, better batteries and things like that the mobility crc is a completely new crc and it's focused on the things that cars are used for which is actually moving people and freight around so we're tackling the sort of more challenging and broad based questions of congestion and of road and city design and of public transport effectiveness and of freight efficiency around the nation. Car companies proclaim that their cars are better, lighter, stronger and so on, but they would tend to keep that sort of information to themselves. You're now bringing together organisations. Is there room in a competitive world for this cooperative, a sense of community? Yes, in fact, I I would suggest that the only way to solve our traffic challenges is for a cooperative approach between vehicle drivers and road authorities and regulatory authorities and uh, freight organisations. It can't be solved by car drivers alone. It can't be solved by road authorities alone. It has to be done to a degree in a joint fashion. Having said that, it's always you know, it's impossible to do a project with uh, with a thousand parties all participating. So the CR, the way the CRC works is to take parts of the problem and and form small groups of organisations who then work together collaboratively or cooperatively on that part of the problem. In the past, we talked about access across all modes. In a way, we used to think about that as just cars, buses and trains, yet you've got to bring in now a whole pile of different skills and different professions in terms of technology and digital technology. I presume that's a much broader task now than what we may have seen in the past. Yes, you're precisely right. The opportunity in front of us comes because these days nearly everyone has has a smartphone in their pocket. So they have the ability, or the smartphone potentially has the ability to look up the timetables of the train, the bus, and the Uber and the taxi and and anything else and actually work out for you on the spot what's the best way to deal with things. Now, of course, that can only happen if some smart people have put together the algorithms and the programs and the apps to make all this work. So there is a 
there's a kind of a new task uh, in front of us to connect all the data that's coming from these different modes, the bus, the train, the tram, and what have you, into functional apps or, or, or processes that pull all that data together to serve individual travellers. I think the important point about that is that we don't get blown away with technology. The AITPM newsletter just had an article from our one of our platinum sponsors, Traffic, that said that data can be a kilometre wide but only a millimetre thick. We need to be making sure that we're not just swamped by numbers but we're actually converting that into practical and real advantages to customers. You're absolutely right and you see a sort of a progression of effort in in that regard. So for instance most public transport vehicles now already in in some way broadcast or make available their their speed and position but uh, you and I typically have to just depend on the published timetable to work out when the vehicle is going to arrive. So we think it's uh, it would be entirely helpful if, in addition to the, the the timetable arrival time for the for the train, we actually knew when it was actually likely to arrive today, uh, this morning, because it might be running you no know, two minutes late or two minutes early. It's the choice of data that we use that is important here. So we want to move from, for example, timetable data to real-time data. Where I want that particularly is when I'm sitting at a bus stop reading a book, I don't have to keep putting my head up to see if it's my bus that's coming. I'd love my phone to ding at me. A bus went sailing past me the other day because I didn't get up and wave it down in a bus stop that has a lot of different buses going to it. So it doesn't have to be super clever it's just solving a very earthy practical problem that's exactly right and all the issues that i'm ever going to tackle are at one level they're they're earthy problems it's step by step we have to improve the quality of the information that you sitting on the bus stop can get from from currently nothing to something that warns you that okay the bus is going to be here in two minutes and then ding the bus that's actually pulling up now is your bus and your your phone could actually absolutely do that if we set out to make it do that. I've got to take up your point, which I totally agree with, useful information. There is a insurance company in the UK that has real-time data from the, your black box. It's uh, called Insure the Box, I think, and they claim that they will be able to get road safety information to you. Now, that sounds fantastic, but there's been a whole profession that looks at what is effective road safety information, not just stuff that makes you, the communicator, feel warm and fuzzy. The point I'm making is that we still need to have very specific transport understanding there in terms of conveying what will be useful messages. That's exactly right. So a fair bit of work has to go into understanding what is going to be useful to the driver. Uh, It's not not some amorphous or or vague uh, warning that, uh, oh, you know, there there are hazards on the the Hume freeway or or, or something. It's more that, you know, a warning that... uh, you should slow down to 40 kilometres an hour, uh, sort of now, because there is a there is a hazard ahead in in, in 100 metres or hmm. something. There needs to be specific advice to do something more or less now, 
more, is much more useful to drivers than general advice about the prospect of hazards uh, somewhere along the line. Information is also not only for specifically for the individual. There's also that context of uh, shared data sets. Is that part of what you are considering or trying to foster? Well, at the at the end of the day, there needs to be a a willingness by the many players in the in the game to share or, or provide access to at least some data. Much of the challenge we have is to distinguish between data that is necessary, but preferably that doesn't identify the individual. So, for instance, it would be useful for the road traffic authorities to share data about incidents uh, with, with the broader community, and I think you know, they generally do that pretty well. Uh, let's go a step closer to home. So it would actually be useful if a, a train approaching a level crossing would share data with all the cars within at 500 metres of that level crossing that you know, the train is approaching and therefore if the car is on a trajectory to actually cross that crossing, they should do something about it. Mm. And of course there is there's the sort of reverse data flow where in order to be able to predict traffic conditions at some time, you no know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour into the future, then it would be useful to know where each car is trying to, to head to if we knew the destination of the cars, then of course we could predict where they would, where they would likely to end up in five minutes' time. They'll be five minutes further down the path that they were they're currently on. But of course, to do that, we need to share with the, the the broader community our destination. And are we willing to do that? Well, and the answer is probably yes, as long as it doesn't identify me. I don't really want anybody to know that Ian is going to. Uh, to visit the city at uh, at 3 p.m. But I don't mind if if people know that somebody from my office in Port Melbourne is heading into the city at, at 3 p.m. Because you know if it's if it's anonymous, I'm very happy to share that data by, by intentions. But if it's if it's identified, then I'm absolutely not. So data has to be we have to be selective about the data that we want to share even though in the broader sense uh, data about average speed down roads is now being picked up by the navigation system companies and being able to use directly to car navigations systems that's the sort of use that a competitive world if they knew that information was available i might well be able to make a new and better product for the customer well, yes, and I would say that that's precisely the sort of development that we want to encourage because because there is the possibility to actually make a much more effective advice system to the travellers, we, we, we want to facilitate, the iMove CRC wants to facilitate that and so we actually want to ensure that there are, that access is possible to the sort of data sets that would make those predictions and those, that, those information services possible and and effective. So we want to encourage sufficient data sharing to make that happen. What sort of companies, because they've said that the government is giving 50 or so million dollars to it, uh, but you also have quite a number of companies have either contributed finance or in-kind work to this, what sort of companies are likely to get involved in this activity? It's quite a diverse group. 
So, for instance, there are big operators like uh, Woolworths and Australia Post who run uh, very, very substantial fleets of vehicles uh, every day and uh, all across the country, down to small companies that are developing uh, these sort of traveler advice systems. There's a company developing um, uh, sensors for uh, detecting the condition of freight while it's en route. We have the road authorities in there uh, working up, working on uh, better traffic management technologies. So there's quite a diverse cross-section of companies already signed up and we, we know that there are at least a similar number of organisations out in the community who are also keenly interested in this activity. Quite often we think of this only in terms of passenger cars, yet the freight systems are those areas where an enormous amount of change can happen with digital technology. The sharing economy we see in terms of passenger cars, yet there can be equivalents within the freight system, how they distribute freight. And we know that freight being delivered to your door is an increasing trend. So I would presume that there is a major emphasis on freight and a strong company support for the very reasons you were saying. Freight is, a, is a, a, a really key and I would say almost a foundation element of this mobility effort. And, and it's simply because in Australia in particular, um, the sources of most things that we consume and use are well distant from, from the cities in which we do the consumption. So our, our food is produced you know, in the country, not in the, in the cities. Our imports are produced overseas and are consumed in our cities. So for Australia to function, it, it absolutely depends on an efficient and effective uh, freight and logistics system uh, nationwide. And if we, if we don't continue to invest in freight and logistics productivity, then the, 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 the national economy will suffer and our international competitiveness will suffer accordingly. So freight is, is fundamental. And so to your point about freight capacity, so everybody would be uh, you know, familiar with the, the sort of numerous delivery vans that, that uh, travel around the urban area. And I, I would ask, uh, ask your uh, audience, you know, how many of those vans are full? And if they're not full, then presumably that means there is a whole lot of additional capacity that's travelling around that's being un- unutilised or underutilised. And so... One of the longer-term objectives is of the CRC is to explore how we might make better use of the available freight capacity. It would be an interesting measure, wouldn't it? What a percentage of fullness uh, freight vehicles are running around with. Indeed. And so we think that potentially there is a, a marketplace opportunity or a, yes, an opportunity to, to trade the available, available capacity on either systematic basis or a, or a spontaneous uh, you know, basis. So, uh, if uh, if I'm if I'm travelling uh, from home to to a distant suburb, and I've got a no, I've got nothing in the car. Would I be willing to take a box there if if uh, someone wanted that to happen and were willing to pay me? Well, I probably would. So, but at the moment, I can't make I can't do that business. I can't make that sale because there's no there's no mechanism to, for me to make my availability known to people nor nor for people who have the need for to move things around to to find me so we see 
in in at least in the midterm some opportunities to create that market for available capacity. I think some of that sharing economy has happened in Europe. You know, you can hire the the boot space of a car, but to do that, of course, you everyone has that will to do that. The real issue is having an effective, easy-to-use, low-cost system to be able to do it. That's exactly why we need a CRC to help companies or help uh, uh, organisations actually develop that capacity because you're right that the idea exists and, and, and sort of, as you would say, prototype examples are being trialled in other places, other countries, but it's not well established anywhere and it will take quite a quite an effort to set up the system in a way that it's effective and easy to use so yes there is there is a big task to be done there technology is often seen as the brave new world it'll be wonderful when we all have it but it's going to take time for it to become part of every vehicle or part of every person's uh, mobile phone or so on. I think one of the things you talked about was better integration of future technology into older vehicles. Is that an approach that you see as being important? Absolutely, I do. So you're quite, uh, you're quite right. It, it, the, the, the progressive penetration of new vehicles into our, either our car fleet or our truck fleet is quite slow. You know, uh, roughly speaking, I think you know the, our, our car fleet turns over about every 20 years, and the truck fleet turns over 30 or 40 every 30 or 40 years. So, it would take a very, very long time if we if we're depend, <coughs> pardon me, depending totally on new vehicle sales to, for the introduction of new technology. Whereas some of the benefits, particularly benefits of cars understanding what the traffic lights are doing or traffic lights understanding what the cars are doing, uh, could be achieved relatively quickly by, shall we say, retrofitting some basic technology to existing vehicles. In that regard, we, we think there is a, an important case to be made for the development of technology that... The point you then make about vehicles is really... Are you working with the car manufacturers in terms of not just what the car can do, but maybe even what the car might have to adapt to in the future? Well, regrettably, of course, the uh, Australian vehicle manufacturers are are in the process of shutting up shop. Hmm. Um, so uh, we are, uh, shall we say, not yet working with the vehicle manufacturers directly on these new technologies. However, by stimulating or, or, or facilitating trialling and, and demonstration of these new technologies in an Australian context, we hope and expect that the vehicle manufacturers will use that opportunity to trial out some of their, their new innovations or their, their developments and take the feedback from those trials to um, I- inform further further refinements of those technologies. So. Yes, we do aspire to actually to, to have uh, to play a role with the with the vehicle manufacturers, but we do have to recognise also that they are based overseas, and there is parallel activity in this sort of mobility space happening in those countries as well. So, the the vehicle manufacturers are are quite keen, and they're being quite now quite adventurous in their in their efforts. There is a quite a intense competition to see who can who will produce the most community acceptable 
technology uh, solutions for driver information, for vehicle control, and, and what have you. Um, so there, there is a lot of activity going on. We, we expect to see some of that here in Australia. I like your expression that is easily understood. I think sometimes we can produce whiz-bang technology, but it's not always, a, a, back to the point we made very early in our discussion about communicating that. The AITPM is also looking at making sure that people like traffic engineers are working with vehicle manufacturers as they develop things such as communication with traffic lights. I don't just mean from a technical point of view how to do it, but what the uh, impact might be and what that might mean to uh, to the actual operation of the system. But uh, I wonder if one of the other things you might do is to keep a, to have a review process of what the way in which information is being used. For example, there is now a lot of concern about just the algorithms that are being pro provided based on a lot of big data. Cathy O'Neill put out a book called Weapons of Math Destruction, M-A-T-H. <laughs> Worried about the algorithms we're using. Uh, for example, if you have a navigation system that redirects traffic, it may redirect them down a road that doesn't have a lot of capacity. It may go past local schools. It may not be good for the local community. That review process, is there a need for that? I think it's it's quite early days at the moment because the development of those algorithms is is still in its in in its early stages. There are algorithms being developed for you know, uh, 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 helping drivers find alternate routes. So in in the event that there's an incident in a particular location, the aspiration is that the smartphone or the car computer will get enough information to be able to suggest to the driver in real time an alternative route to deal with the either the actual or the anticipated congestion that the incident would cause. Now, is that likely to be problematic? Well, if, if the algorithm doesn't work, then people won't buy it and, and, it, and it will fail fairly quickly. If it works but it leads to some unintended consequences, then that may need remediation However, I'm, my expectation is that, is that most sort of redirection algorithms you know, would only be triggered in the event of an incident. And whilst you know, we prefer there to be no incidents at all, incidents are not, not hugely frequent and they seldom turn up in the same place. So, so the, pros, the, the, the risk of one particular location receiving an undue or an inappropriate amount of traffic, I, I think are, are relatively low. But it, it, of course, if, it, if that did look like happening, then, then the algorithms would have to be tweaked or, or, or varied in some way to um, protect against in, inappropriate street use or other, other side, uh, you know, undesirable side effects. I guess that's my whole point, yeah, and I'm glad you, you've expressed it that way. But the point is we need that interaction and we may even, for example maximize things from a financial point of view but we're not necessarily maximizing them from a, a community point of view and that's something that needs to be balanced now you also have an education program that you've talked about in your prospectus what, what sort of things are involved in that the cooperative research center program which has been going for many years has as one of its important elements it always has an education component because 
in every area of endeavour in the country, every area that CRCs uh, focus on, there is always a need to develop our human capital with increased capability to deal to deal with and address ongoingly these complex problems, complex opportunities. So there is a, a permanent effort within the CRC program to focus some of the resources on higher degree training, so that's that's master's degree studies and PhD studies. And uh, it, it's quite common in CRCs also to provide programs that expose undergraduates to industry opportunities or industry projects in the, in, the ta- in the target industry sector in which the CRC is operating. In the case of iMove, in addition to those sort of education efforts focused around university students, we see also a very strong need, or shall we say we've, we've been told by the industry or been, the industry has shared with us their, their strong desire to invest time and effort in upskilling their own staff in order to, for the, their staff to be able to better manage and further develop these sort of algorithms and methodologies, the processing of the data, even the, even the, the capture of the data that's going to be needed to drive these more, these better informed systems going forward. And then finally, and, and this is a kind of almost unique, I think, to the iMove initiative, is that you know, everything that we do in mobility is going to affect people, real people in real houses and real streets on every every part of the country. So we see it as, as particularly important that we bring the community along with us as we develop develop new technologies and new methods or new approaches to dealing with freight, dealing with traffic, dealing with cars, dealing with automation. Because unless it's working for the community, it's not working. No matter how how much rocket science we put into the into the car, if it behaves in a way that's either unacceptable or not particularly attractive to either the, the driver and its occupant, the car occupants, or the, the surrounding community, the other people that use the road and the street, then it's not going to be acceptable. And so we have to evolve the technologies in, I would say, in collaboration with the community, and we have to help the community see what's going on and recognize the benefits that or, or see how they can uh, extract benefit for themselves from these new endeavors government departments and universities have all tried to bring about improvements and have achieved that in many ways why do we need crcs why do we need them now what's different about that and and what can you give that the past processes can't give well uh you're right. People have been working, you know, individually and individual organisations on some of these challenges for for some years. And what that's demonstrated is that, at the end of the day, progress can only be made by working with others, other related stakeholders on the problem. So, you know, for instance, if we want to improve the performance of public transport, people need to be able to connect between the bus and the train. It's not just good enough to have a well-functioning bus service and separately a well-functioning train service. They have to work together for the traveller to get an effective or an improved operation. So we have to actually have a a, a sort of a a combined effort or there has to be some um, collaborative effort between 
the train company and the bus company and the tram company and actually the road company and the parking company, unless they're all part of the solution, they otherwise remain part of the problem. So that's what the CRC endeavours to do. It endeavours to build networks and connectivity between the, the many stakeholders that are already interested in participating in, in, in solution development. And by bringing them together, we hope to be able to generate a much faster and more effective development of solutions to these um, quite complex issues. I can tell you what I think is an, a classic example of that. It has been estimated that in some cities up to 30% of the traffic on the roads in the city centre is actually circulating traffic. Now, making better traffic lights is not solving that problem. Solving that problem is understanding where the user, what they need, where they're going to, why they're not parking or are parking or looking for parking. It becomes a whole complex issue rather than just widening the roads or putting in right turn arrows at traffic lights. That is exactly correct. In fact, that's a beautiful example of of both the complexity of the problem and the scale of the opportunity. Uh, I have heard similar reports of, of you know, 30% of the traffic in a, in a CBD predominantly being there just circulating looking for parking. So for heaven's sakes, it, it, makes it, it would be a, a huge advantage if the driver's mobile phone or the car itself could know and see in real time where the, where the nearest available parking spot is, particularly in, in the direction in which they're actually travelling. And there's no fundamental reason why that couldn't be organised, but it clearly would need the cooperation of the uh, municipal parking authorities or and or possibly private parking providers. They would need to be able to make available information about which parking spaces are vacant at in real time. That information needs to be, shall we say, collected and in, interpreted for the benefit of an individual driver. So if, if the driver's in, in Smith Street, um, then he's principally going to be interested in parking spaces ahead of him in the direction that he's travelling along Smith Street. He's not interested in parking spaces in Brown Street, which is you know, two kilometres away. So the system has to have enough intelligence and it then has to be organised in such a way that the driver can easily see what he has to do without having to take his eyes too much off the, off the traffic because he's going to be in bumper-to-bumper CBD crawling traffic in any case. So there are a lot of steps that have to be brought together in order to, to deliver effective solution to what is actually a very common and time-consuming and wasteful problem. Ian, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. It's a pleasure, David. Uh, we're very happy to help and uh, interested in any any sort of feedback or input that your uh, servers want to, would like to make. I appreciate that greatly, and I'm sure the Australian Institute of Traffic Planning and Management would like to take up that interaction, that dialogue that could come from that. Thank you again. And that was Ian Christensen, who is the CEO of Accelerate Australia. He also led the bid for the iMove Cooperative Research Centre that has now been funded by the federal government with an aim to explore digital and evolving vehicle technologies to help traffic to flow more smoothly.